Good morning again, everyone. Welcome to Cross of Life. If you have not met me, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor here at our congregation, and I am so excited that you are here because this is maybe the most important thing we have done as a congregation since I've become the pastor here. We are moving forward on the first steps towards the future of our congregation as we go into this series for the generations to come. For the last couple months, we as a congregation have been meeting in cottage meetings to talk about what sort of things we can do to enhance our ministry, engage our members, increase our outreach, and ultimately plant roots so that the next generations of Christians in this city can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So almost every one of you got in a cottage meeting over the last couple of months. Um, But I realize that there might be some of you who did not get into a cottage meeting over the last couple months, so I want to make sure you understand what our campaign is and what we're hoping to do. So actually, at this time, I'm going to have some of our folks hand out to you uh, this campaign guide. And we prepared these for our congregation so that they can know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the For the Generations to Come campaign. Many of the things you see in there will be things that if you were in a cottage meeting, you already know, you've already heard about. But for the sake of those of you who weren't in a cottage meeting, I want to walk through just one portion of this campaign guide with you. Um, as soon as you receive the campaign guide, would you actually turn to what would be the, the uh, inside right page? So as you open it, the page on the right side that says the vision. Our hopes are for the next couple years to enhance our ministry by a discipleship process known as our Learn, Live, Lead. It's a three-step process that hopes to give every person who comes in cross, into Cross of Life the chance to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and in community with other people and prepare them to bring other people to know Jesus. Now you can see the details of that right there and read that uh, sometime maybe after worship. The second thing there, the volunteer management system, is a system that we've put together to hope to engage every single member of Cross of Life in ministry to each other. We believe that church is a family, and just like every family member has responsibilities in your house, every member of our family has responsibilities in our house. And the final piece of that is the occupation of a worship facility. We're hoping as a congregation to get out of being a portable church. We've been a portable church for 19 years, mostly in here in Lisgar Middle School, but other places as well. And it's starting to wear on our congregation. We set up and tear down every single week, and it frankly doesn't give us as many opportunities for ministry as we could have if we operated a 24-7 worship and outreach facility. So our hope as a congregation is to implement these three steps over the next year and a half or so, but we're starting right here with this series and kicking it off and starting to move down this path. But I'm guessing that as I read those things off, and you start to think about those things, there are a couple different reactions in the room. There are some of you who are excited. You're thinking to yourself, we should have done this nine months ago. I'm totally on board. Whatever you say, I'm in. I'll commit both my money, my time, even my effort to to making this happen for the future of our congregation. And that's awesome. But there are others of you who are not so excited. You're not sure if you trust the leadership of this congregation. You're not sure if the plans are the best laid plans. You're not sure if you're even going to stay around if some of this stuff starts to happen. And you looked at that last little bit about the occupation of a worship facility and you thought to yourself, that costs money. And he's going to talk about money, isn't he? And that's the reason I got out of church in the first place. Churches always ask for money. Or some of you thought, occupation of a worship facility, that means money, and I can't even pay my rent. 
much less commit money to a church. I say that and, and identify all of those people so that we understand something as we move forward in this campaign and in the future of our congregation. We're not perfect. We're not clean. We're not all ducks in a row. We're not everything's right. Everyone gets along. Everyone's happy. That's not how our church is. And that's okay. That's how the church on earth, this side of heaven, operates. It's always messy. We're dealing with each other's sin all the time, and Satan wants nothing more than to weasel his way into the cracks of our congregation and tear us apart. The reason we have a congregation is because people are bad. You're all bad. You said so just a couple minutes ago when we all confessed that we are by nature sinful, altogether sinful from birth. The church exists for bad people who are trying to deal with their badness with the grace of Jesus Christ that comes and washes away every sin. But that doesn't mean that our badness goes away. It doesn't mean that all our opinions align. It doesn't mean that everyone's happy. And so I think we all kind of thought about that as a leadership team as we put together this campaign. We thought, how can we be as generous, not to just the people who agree with us, but to those who maybe don't right away? And so we thought about how can we listen better? How can we take that feedback, think about it, talk about it, and make adjustments as necessary? Because ultimately for us, this campaign is not really about money. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money every single week of this sermon series. But we're not going to talk about dollars and cents. I'm not going to put numbers up on the screen. I'm not going to say this is how much you should give or this is how much you should need because I want to have this campaign go a different direction. If you take out your campaign guide one more time and just look at the front cover, you can see that we have a primary goal and a secondary goal with this campaign. And the primary goal is that there would be growth and selflessness and generosity for every person. That's not just a placeholder. That's not just like a nice spiritual thing for us to say so that we can justify asking everyone for money. That really is the number one goal. I want more than anything else for our congregation to grow in selflessness and generosity, whether we get one dollar or one million dollars. Because ultimately, I care more about your soul than I care about the building or, or ministry plans or an organization called Cross of Life. So if you're taking notes with us, I want to make sure you get this right away. Our first fill-in-the-blank is the big idea for today. It's not about the money. Now, just to prove to you how much I'm convinced that this is not about the money, uh, for the sake of those of you who are right now thinking, I still don't care, I don't want to give money to this church, we're going to do a little exercise, okay? Um, in just a couple seconds, we are all going to say together, I'm not giving a dollar to this church. That way, those of you who are convinced that you don't want to give a dollar to this church can say it out loud in church, and those of you who are convinced that you do want to support what we're going to do can support those people who feel that way. Okay, so we're all going to say it together. Ready? I'm not giving a dollar to this church. Thank you. It's really not about the money for us. It's about your heart. And that's because we understand something that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe you've heard that verse before and you've thought to yourself, Sure, Jesus, I suppose you can tell where my heart really lies by what I spend my money on. But there's another edge to what Jesus is saying here. 
He's saying that if you want to make your heart love something, put your treasure in that place. If you're taking notes, that's the next fill in the blank. Put your treasure in the place you want your heart. To teach you kind of what Jesus is saying, I want to give you an example that I think will resonate with you. There are some of you who love sports. You know all the sports. You know the teams, you know the players, you know the stats, you watch the games, you know who should be in and who should be out, who's injured and who's not. You're thinking about playoffs and all these sorts of things. But there are some of you who just don't care, right? There's some of you who don't know the difference between OG Ananobi and Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's some of you who can't figure out why King Joffrey from Game of Thrones plays for the Maple Leafs. <laughs> you just don't care. But I get, I, I bet, for those of you who just don't care about sports, I could get you to care about sports. I could get you to care about sports if you would put $100 down on a game. If you put $100 down on a game, I bet you would care about who's in and who's out, who's got better players, who's got home field or home ice advantage, who had a better record last year. I bet you'd care about a lot of those things. And I bet you watched the game, too, to see how your bet would play out. Because wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will go also. And so our hope is not to focus on money, but to focus on your heart, knowing that the money that you have is almost always the best indicator of your spiritual health and also one of the most powerful forces for spiritual growth. So the focus that we are going to take in this entire series is this phrase, generosity changes lives. You might read that and at first think, yeah, of course. If I'm generous, other people's lives are going to be changed. But what we want to focus on is the fact that our generosity actually changes our lives. And so again, I'll say it, and I'll probably say it 30 more times in this sermon. It's not about the money. Now to drive this point home today, we're going to focus on a story that you have probably heard from the life of Jesus. It comes to us from Matthew chapter 14. I'll read the text and then we'll focus on it. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to, the sol- to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And they gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the gospel of the Lord. So let's set the scene. The text starts out when Jesus heard what had happened. Do you know what had happened? In the text preceding this text, we hear that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch. 
John had been preaching the truth of God's word to Herod, and Herod wanted nothing to do with it, so he took off John's head. And like any normal human, this was a traumatic experience for Jesus. Yes, Jesus is true God, completely 100% God, but he's also 100% true human being. And so the idea of his loved one being killed by murder in a terribly, a terrible way, it broke his heart. And so he, like many of you who have lost a loved one in a dramatic way, tried to find a solitary place to get away, to be with his own thoughts, to dwell on what happened, and try to deal with it in his own mind. But it didn't last very long. The crowds followed Jesus to the place where he thought he was going to be solitary. And when he saw them, did you hear what the text told us? He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. See, in the time when Jesus should have been spending on himself, he was working for other people. You know, we have this, uh, this narrative in our culture. Maybe you've heard it described as treat-yourself culture. Uh, maybe you've said a phrase like, I need a little me time, or I want to take time to work on myself. We have this idea in our culture that we need to focus on ourselves, especially when things are going bad. But is that how Jesus would take a situation where things were going bad for him? Well, obviously, he did try to get away, so there's some value to relaxation, to recovery, to thinking through things that are happening, but as you see Jesus' heart here, Jesus was more concerned with the people who needed him than with dealing with his own problems. His heart hurt for those people. He had compassion on them, even though his heart was hurting for himself in the loss of his cousin. In this campaign, as we move forward talking about plans and ideas for the future, some of it's going to be traumatic. Some of you have come to this church for over a decade, and some of the things have stayed exactly the same for over those 10 years. And you love this church, and it feels like this church is slipping out of your fingers. When things are traumatic, what does Jesus do? He looks to other people to serve. He doesn't dwell in his own thoughts, get inside his own head, listen to the hype. He, he looks for other people to serve. And so when we say on the front of our campaign guide that we want a growth in selflessness for other people, we're trying to reflect Jesus. When things are hard, when things are challenging, when things hurt, Jesus reached out to other people. And in the same way, I challenge our congregation to show that same grace to other people. To the people here in our congregation, the people who come and visit us on a Sunday morning, that grace that says, what you need, what you want, is more important than what I need and what I want. If you're taking notes, that's our next fill in the blank. Even in suffering, Jesus shows selflessness. But there's something else to notice about what Jesus does. And you didn't catch it because we didn't actually read it in the text. But after this whole episode with Jesus feeding the 5,000, everyone goes home, and then the next couple of verses of Matthew chapter 14 tell us, tells us this. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus finally got his solitary time after all the service had been done. But in that moment, what did he do? He prayed. 
When things are traumatic, when you feel like you want to run, where do you run? Do you run to a bottle? Do you run to the pills? Do you run to porn? Do you run to vacation? Do you run to your man cave? Do you run away from your marriage, away from your kids, away from your job? Where do you run? I'll tell you where Jesus runs. Jesus runs to prayer. He runs to the place where only God knows. He doesn't take it out on the people around him. He takes it to God. He brings those concerns, that pain, to his Lord. And he doesn't just do it in a passing comment. He goes off to a solitary place and makes time in his schedule to pray. There are going to be things in our congregation that change over the next couple years. And you might be really frustrated with them. The first thing I want every one of us to do in that situation is to pray. Because before you are going to have any productive conversation with anyone in this congregation, talk to the one who can actually make things change. The one who actually cares about your emotions. The one who actually wants to make things work out for your good in every situation. If you count on people here to do that, they will fail you. But God will not fail you. Every Sunday this series, I'm going to tell us to pray. I'm going to tell us to go to God in prayer and say to him, first of all, God, you have been so generous to me. Teach me how to be generous with other people. But then also, as things start to happen and things start to change, give me a selfless heart so that even the things that I don't like, I can see benefit and joy in for other people. Run to prayer. Because Jesus did. Now, what happens in the text next, of course, is probably the focus of this story for most people and miraculous. So let's read the text and remember it before we dig into it. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for the, uh, buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. So the disciples see that the end of the preaching tour for Jesus, at least on this day, is done. They see the thousands of people waiting there, and they see that not many of them have enough food to provide for their families. So they say to Jesus, looks like it's time for everyone to go home. Disciples are no idiots, right? They see the metrics. They see there's more people than there is food, and we're not finding food anywhere around here, so let's send all the people home. But what Jesus says to them is amazing isn't it? They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) We would expect Jesus to say something different, right? We'd expect him to say maybe, okay, it was a good day. Let's send everyone home. They can find their own food. Let's pick it up tomorrow. Or maybe we'd expect Jesus to say, Alakazam, here's all the food. Everyone can stay. He's like Oprah, like everyone look under your chair. You get bread and you get bread and you get bread. But Jesus isn't like that. He says, They don't need to go home. You give them something to eat. What's Jesus doing when he says that to his disciples? Well, he's first of all trying to help them understand their inability to fix the problems of this world. That they ultimately need him. And they're going to see how Jesus is going to miraculously provide for all these people, including those 12 disciples. But there's something else embedded in here. 
Jesus wants them to understand that it's their responsibility to give out the blessings. You give them something to eat, he says. And he doesn't exclude any of them. You, plural, all of you, give them something to eat. If you're taking notes, the next fill in the blank for us is you give them something to eat includes everyone. It might be easy to think like the disciples as we talk about a big campaign moving forward and money and all these sorts of things. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, why don't you send all these people away so they can buy food for themselves? In essence, saying to Jesus, uh, this is their problem, Jesus. Why don't you let them figure it out? Or you could also say they were maybe asking Jesus to do a miracle. Jesus, these people can't get themselves any food, so maybe you can do a miracle. But Jesus says, no, it's not everyone else's problem. It's your problem. It's you. I'm including everyone in this. To put it on the ground for us, maybe there are some of you who are thinking, if the church wants to move forward this direction, then the church has to figure it out themselves. If the leadership wants to move this direction, the leadership has to fund it themselves. If the young people of this congregation are hoping that this church will be for them for the generations to come, they got to start ponying up the cash. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, it's got to be the older folks who fund this because they're not the ones who have to feed three extra mouths at home and, are trying to, and aren't trying to navigate an increasingly hard market to get into. And we'd all be wrong. This is not everyone else's problem. This is every single one of our problems. You give them something to eat. See, for us, it's not about the money. It's not about the money at all. It's for every single one of us to hear that call from Jesus. You give them something to eat. See, that levels the playing field, doesn't it? As we look forward to a campaign of change and increased investment both in time and money, you give them something to eat. You, whether you make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, it includes every one of us. And it can't be about the money. If it was about the money, we would go about this in a different way, a way different than what Jesus did. And if Jesus was really just concerned about the food, he would have just zap pow, made all the food right away. Or maybe he would have gone around and found the people who brought a lot of extra food along who were actually planning ahead and said, you know what, why don't you just provide for the people around you and then we'll send the rest of them home. But it wasn't about the food for Jesus. It was about every single one of his disciples' hearts. He wanted each of them to realize that they couldn't do it without him, but that he still wanted them to participate in the blessings he was going to give. That's why we're not focusing on the money with this campaign. We'll say it again and again. It's not about the money. It's about each one of us coming to God and asking him, God, how can I be generous? You've been so generous to me. How can I disperse that generosity to other people? Maybe you're like the disciples. You're trying to figure out a way to get out of this whole thing. I don't know if I can give to this church. I'm not sure I trust them. I don't have the funds. I don't like the direction. Okay. If that's really how you feel, you don't have to. You don't have to participate. You don't have to give money. But here's, here's what Jesus is saying to you very clearly. Every one of you is responsible for giving out blessings. You don't get a pass on being generous. 
And so if you choose not to be generous with our congregation, Jesus doesn't give you a choice to not be generous with other people. It's about your heart. It's, it's not about the money. And Jesus wants generosity to change your life. Now, after the disciples present the problem, we find out the solution. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the true fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So from another gospel, we understand how they got these five loaves and two fish. Maybe you remember, if you've read the story before, a young boy has these five loaves and two fish as kind of his lunch that he's brought along. And he gives that lo- those loaves and that fish to Jesus. Now I want you to think for a moment about this boy. Why on earth would he give those five loaves of bread and those two fish to Jesus? Do you think it's because he thought to himself, you know, if I invest five loaves of bread and two fish on a fixed rate interest over 30 years, maybe I can... No, he didn't think that way. Do you think he, he had Jesus come by him before everyone started gathering and say, all right, I'm going to do this thing at the end of my sermon. You come up and give me the bread, and then I'm going to make some magic happen. That's not what happened. And even just logically, like, have you ever tried to get food away from a child? If Jesus just came up to him and and asked, most children would say, nope, this is mine. But this boy gives his bread and his fish to Jesus. Why? Well, because he had faith. He trusted that Jesus could do amazing things with the things given to him. If you're taking notes, that's the next fill in the blank. The boy's generosity was motivated by his faith. See, he had seen what Jesus had done. He had seen Jesus heal the sick. He had seen Jesus do other miracles. And he thought, well, if that guy who can do amazing things that only God can do says, we need food, then, well, I'll give my food to him. That's what God is asking of us, to trust him to see the miraculous that he has done and trust that as we give to him, he will give even more, first of all, to others, and then back to us. Have you seen the miraculous things God has done? I'm sure many of you could point back to points in your life where God has done miraculous things, but today I just want you to focus on what's happening right here. As you look around at the other people who are here, do you realize that this is a miracle? This is a miracle that God gathered a congregation in this place at this time in the world's history in a country that is increasingly post-Christian. And many of you would raise your hand and say, I might not be a Christian if it weren't for Cross of Life. I would not have grown in my faith if it weren't for Cross of Life. I would be in a very different place if it weren't for Cross of Life. My children would be in a very different place if it weren't for Cross of Life. All that is a miracle of God's grace, but that miracle started when a whole bunch of people gave up their resources. Maybe you know this, but over the 19-year history of our congregation, we have received over $2 million in gifts because people were generous, and generosity has changed hundreds of lives. 
we have the chance, like the boy, to trust that as we are generous, God is going to change lives. And so that's why we're, again, focusing on every one of us in prayer to God, saying, God, you've been generous to me. How can I be generous with other people? This man had faith, this young boy, and Jesus made it into something amazing. But it wasn't just the amazing food that changed that boy's life that day. It was what was the attitude that he had afterward. And can you imagine what it was like to be that boy moving forward in his life? Like when he and his wife sat across the table and talked about the bills, do you think he was worried? When he wasn't sure if food was going to get on the table this week, do you think he was worried? As he looked forward to his retirement, do you think he was worried? No, he could always go back to the fact that when he gave to Jesus, Jesus gave him more than he could have possibly imagined. When you give to Jesus, you can have the faith that you do not need to worry about where that money goes or how you're going to provide because God has resources that, that we know nothing about. That boy didn't know that Jesus was going to feed all those people that day. He just simply said, well, Jesus said, give me food and, and I'm going to do it. And God made amazing things happen. I think we can do that same thing knowing the same truth that God has resources that we know nothing about. Because he's shown it time and time again. And he's continuing to show it right now. Last night I was sitting at a Hamilton Tiger Cats game with our treasurer, Paul Coyle. And about the second quarter or so, Paul leaned over to me and showed me an email on his phone. It turns out someone died and donated $21,600 to Cross of Life. God has resources that we know nothing about. And at the end of the series, I'm going to ask every one of us to take a commitment card and put on that piece of paper amount of money that we're willing to commit to the future of God's ministry here. And God went first. God stepped up and said, here's what I'm willing to commit to your ministry. It's not about the money. It's about every one of us trusting that God can give back in a way that we could never imagine. So if you're taking notes with us, God has resources that we know nothing about. And he can provide things that we could not even imagine right now. But what he cares about more than giving us an amazing building or an amazing ministry or a second site or another called worker or any of those things is your heart. And so he's asking you to be generous to see how generosity can change your life. So Jesus takes the lunch, he distributes it, and 5,000 people are fed, right? But did you notice how Jesus distributed the food to the people? He took the bread and the fish and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and the disciples started to walk around and hand out the food to the people. Do you know what didn't happen? Jesus didn't hold up the bread and break it and as everyone was looking, suddenly around him, hundreds of baskets of food appeared. He could have done that, I suppose. But instead, he wanted to show the disciples drip by drip that the bread was always there. In the same way with the woman, the widow at Zarephath that Elijah did a miracle for, he didn't give her a, a whole stockpile of flour and oil. She just every day started making more bread, and by the end of the day, there was more oil and more flour in her jars. 
when we make our commitments at the end of this series, it's not going to be that amazing. (laughs) It's not going to be flashy. There isn't going to be like a bolt of lightning and God show up and say thank you for all of your generosity. It's going to be just another normal day. But slowly but surely, God is going to bless people. He's going to bless us. He's going to bless the people around us. He's going to bless the people who aren't even here yet. Because God gives results slowly. We like to believe that God gives results quickly. That I'm going to give this amount of money and suddenly I'm going to get a random check from somebody and it's going to refill my bank account. If that was how God worked, he would simply be a transactional God, not a loving God, not a training, disciplining Father who helps us learn how to trust him. So he gives us results slowly. And I think that's why also he gave the disciples those 12 basketfuls of food at the end of the story. To remind them that not just are these people going to be fed slowly but surely, but you too are going to receive blessings more abundant than you could possibly imagine. So the text finishes. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. It was over 5,000 that day. How many do you think it will be for our congregation? If we last another 30 or 50 or 100 years, how many thousands of people will be benefited by the work that we do right now in 2019? I don't know. Only God knows. But I know that he did it before. When one young boy trusted him with his lunch. And so as we look forward to committing a financial resource of ours towards God's ministry here, I pray that you remember, first of all, that God has resources we know nothing about. And he doesn't need us to give him our money. He could make it all happen without us. But he cares about our heart and wants our treasure to guide our heart closer to him. And so I pray that we all have that heart of generosity. So before we finish... I want to address three groups of people in the room and then give you three pieces of homework. First of all, I want to address our leaders. Those five men who we've elected to be the leadership for our team, or for our congregation, and your spouses. Let's set the tone. I'm going to ask our congregation to make their commitments to our future on November 24th, the last Sunday of this series, but I'm going to ask you men and your wives to commit to this a week earlier. To show our congregation this isn't us just trying to extract money from them so that we can do what we want. Know that we're generous first. Johanna and I will do the same with you. Let's set the tone for our congregation. Second, I want to address the rest of you who consider Cross of Life your church home. I know that some of you might have been hurt by churches in the past who have asked for money. And I want you to know that we're going to address that. Actually, in this series, we're going to have a Sunday where we talk about what God does to churches who steal from their members. But I want you to think about how generosity can change your life. How investing in our congregation can show amazing things to you about God's grace and God's favor to you. And I want you to know, too, how much we're willing to do this, even if it's not about the money. Like, if someone came up to me today and said, Pastor, I'm totally on board with this campaign. Here's a blank check. I want to pay for a lease for a building for the next five years and any more years after that. You know what I would say? Thank you. You can make out the the check to Cross of Life Lutheran Church. But then I would still go on with this campaign. Because it's not about the money. 
It's about your heart, your prayers, you going before God and asking him how you can be generous. And then finally, I want to address those of you who do not consider Cross of Life your church home. If this was kind of a slap in the face to you, you expected to come to a normal church service (laughs) where we talked a lot about Jesus' grace. Um, I'm sorry, we do that most Sundays, but we want to make sure that we're on the same page and on on the same page with Scripture as we move forward as a congregation. And so what I would actually challenge you to do is stay here for these four weeks and see our transparency about our sin, about the challenges that we face, and about how we can move forward together. And at the end of it, I bet you'll find that this is a congregation that you might want to partner with, to get on the same page with and join us as we try to make ministry happen here in Mississauga. Finally then, three pieces of homework. Take home your commitment card. If you went to a cottage meeting, you got a commitment card, I'm reminding you now to pray about it. To put it on the fridge, to put it on the table, to put it in your Bible, to put it on your nightstand so that you pray about it every day as a family. God, you've been generous with us. How can we be generous with you? If you don't have a commitment card, we will have them for you next Sunday so that you can replace it. But even if you don't have a commitment card, I want you to start a a month of conversations with your family. Unless you're the ideal family who never has struggles with money, you're probably going to have to talk about this. And the last minute is a bad time to talk about it. So start talking about it now. Instead of saying, what do I want to do with the money or what do you want to do with the money, let's talk about what God wants us to do with our money together. And then finally, be here for the next three Sundays. As we go through this campaign and explore different aspects of it and what the Bible teaches us about it, I pray that your heart will be warmed to generosity like God has been generous with you. Generosity changes lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to be generous like you are generous. Give us faith like that boy who was willing to give up his lunch for you so that you could do something amazing. We ask that you oversee the future of our congregation and all the things we plan, all the things we do, that you work out all those things for our good and that you keep us together, loving and serving each other as we go forward. We ask these things in your name. Amen.